Let's stand together. Acts chapter 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9. We're going to start a new series on the life of Paul. I don't know of a man in all of God's word outside the Lord Jesus Christ that's influenced my life more than Paul. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. The Bible says, And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now skip down to verse 17. Ananias went his way. And entered into the house, and putting his hand on him, said, Now these are the most astounding words in all the Bible. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Bible says, verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and went edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They were multiplied. When Saul became brother Saul, what a moment. I think sometimes when we're enjoying the 13 epistles that Paul wrote, and meditating on his life, uh, talking about the churches that were planted, the men that were trained, I think we forget about his life uh, B.C., before Christ. And before the road to Damascus, uh, he was a cruel man. I, I don't think we can understate or underestimate uh, the evil, vile, wicked, despicable behavior of Saul against the church. Go back with me to chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen. We see him introduced in Scripture. What a poor introduction. Chapter 7, verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear Stephen's preaching. Too much conviction. This is a generation that uh, it's not new to any generation. This is the flesh hates any kind of Holy Ghost conviction. And they said, we don't want to hear it. and We don't want anyone else to hear it. Now, this is a lot of anger. When you run up upon a man, you cast him out of the city and stone him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Can you imagine participating? But can you imagine here is a man so evil that when he watched innocence, he watched a man who reacted and responded just, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, full of the Spirit, uh, looks up to heaven and says, Lay not this sin to their charge. And that, I'm sure, is part of the prick that will be in his heart, part of the memory that he has to lay down at night and remember that man filled with the Spirit, the sweetness of his countenance, as he dies with such grace, and Saul hates it. 
can't stand it. Look what it says in verse 1, Acts 8, 1. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions. Look what it says, verse 3. Saul, who was the man in charge of creating this havoc? Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, he committed them to prison. Now look what Paul says out of his own mouth, Acts 26. I don't want to belabor the point, but I don't want to rush past who Paul was before he became brother Paul. Look what it says in Acts 26, verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I had to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he was religious. Religion will mess you up. Religion has sent millions to hell, but it will mess you up in this life before it messes you up in the latter life, the next life, eternal life. When you spend eternity in hell because you hung your hat on and put your confidence in a religion. Religion has led man to do despicable things. Any religion that leads to cruelty against another man has nothing to do with God. And you can look back at the dark history of the world, thousands of years, what's been done in the name of God. Hurtful and hateful, from brutal murders to torture. That has nothing to do with the God of this book. That has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He was a religious man thinking he was doing God a favor. And God will never lead any man to perform any kind of cruel act against another man. But he thought, he thought uh, this was a good thing. Let me just say this. I don't care how sincere you are. You're sincerely wrong. You'll still die and go to hell. You, You can take that medication and think it's helping you. You picked up the wrong bottle no matter how sincere you were. When you swallowed it, it's still gonna mess you up. Verse 9, I verily thought with myself, I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints, look what he says. Here's his testimony. I shut them up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme. Being, uh, look what it says exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. Here's a man so evil, he was sniffing out Christians like a police dog sniffs out drugs. He would go from place to place literally looking for the followers of the way. Anybody that preached an exclusive gospel through Jesus and Jesus alone had to be hunted down. And listen, this man was so brutal. He would bind them. Men, the Bible says, and women. He would find the home where Christians were meeting and bust through the door causing great terror. He had heard many children cry and he put ladies in handcuffs, all those sobbing. He'd watch families separated. His motive was not just to arrest them, to beat them, to cause great emotional and physical pain. His ultimate goal was their death. We're talking about a bloodthirsty murderer who said, I would testify and do everything within my power not to see them put in a prison 
but to see them literally killed for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a mad man. And the church was living in fear. Every meeting, every Bible study, every prayer group, every time they got together, especially the husbands that had uh, children would say, kids, you have to be very cautious. You have to be very careful because if Saul sniffs this out, your daddy's going to be beaten. Your mama's going to be jailed. You may become orphans in the near future. You've got to be discreet in what you do. You've got to be careful in what you say. Listen, at the moment of his salvation, the Bible says the churches had rest. Can you imagine one man to terrify the entire church body of Christ? Now, church, you ought to thank God every day that we can meet and uh, read God's word and sing and preach and do it without any fear. We, most of us, all we've known over the course of our life is that going to church with a rested spirit Confident that we can meet with God. Some of you rest so much, you sleep from the minute we start to the minute we finish. I mean, that's rest. You are at maybe too much peace in your heart and in your soul. I don't think God intended for that level of rest. But what happened during COVID when suddenly we couldn't meet as we always had, when suddenly the Constitution was overturned and uh, from Mayors to governor, charged president, decided to throw out the constitutional rights that our forefathers guaranteed us. Suddenly we were confounded. But there have been Christians all around the world for not hundreds, since the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, who who've never enjoyed one single meeting that was restful. Every time they met, there was a danger of being discovered. And in this case, they knew there was a madman just waiting to find them, just waiting to beat them, just waiting to arrest them. And if he had his chance in court, he'd be a willful participant in their condemnation and death sentence. And you say, boy, a case like this, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what you ought to do? Pray for the salvation of that madman. I don't think this happened without someone praying. There was a church that was praying. They weren't just praying for God's protection. Someone in that group was praying for salvation. Now go back with me to Acts chapter 9. Here he goes on his way to Damascus, the synagogues. He had the authorities behind him. He had heard about Christians in Damascus. Now, how this happened, we don't know specifically. But someone had come to Jerusalem and heard the gospel, gotten a home, and there was a body of believers there that were meeting. Saul heard about it. Word came back. He said, I got to break that up. I got to tear that down. We don't need anyone preaching Jesus Christ, salvation through his name and his name alone. Look what it says as he journeyed, came near Damascus, verse 3. Suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now the Bible tells us this light was brighter than the light of the sun. And as he looked at me, anybody here ever looked directly into the 
sun, the light of the Son of God was even brighter, brighter. And he comes off his high horse. You know why there are people sitting here still never been born again? Because they're riding on the high horse of their religion and God's going to have to knock them off. And here he comes, so proud of himself for his wicked life. You know what this world is? This world, you can't fathom it, but you look at them, they are so proud of themselves. No matter what they've achieved in life, the deceitfulness to get there and the hurting of people to arrive at that place and the the twisting and the lying and the cheating and the adultery and the fornication and everything they did to become who they are and they're proud of it. God said, I'm going to knock you off your horse. You know what keeps man from getting born again? Pride. You have to humble yourself and admit you're wrong. And come down before your, uh, before an almighty God. And he, he doesn't even recognize who Jesus is. You've got to be introduced to the Son of God. And God's going to show up here. He, now, here's what we see happening in the midst of all this. This bright light, verse 7 says, The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no man. They, they were hearing noises, but they didn't see Christ. And they didn't hear the word that was given to to Saul directly, and here's what we see in this chapter. When it comes to salvation, this was very personal. God met with him personally, and here's what salvation is about. Those of you who got born again, there may be 300, 400 people gathered together in an auditorium, and the word's being preached, and you think in a very general way. But when God comes, uh, he will talk to you personally, and I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times over the course of my life. When God gets the attention of a man or a woman in a church service, it gets really personal. Everyone else just seems to be enjoying the service, but there's that one under Holy Ghost conviction. Great sweat begins to pour off their head. Nervousness. The Holy Ghost to God come down to arrest them. Saul, why persecutest thou me? Oh, the patience of God. Why didn't God just take Saul off the planet? Why did... Why did God even bother to get the knowledge of the Son of God to this evil, despicable man? That's called the grace of God. You know what? If you've been introduced to the Jesus of the Bible, you ought to thank God for his grace, his patience, and he's going to come in a powerful way. How many remember how powerfully the Holy Spirit of God dealt with you? how personal it was to you. Now, some would ask others, have you had a Damascus experience with the Son of God? Well, if you've been saved, listen, if you haven't had one, you've never been born again. Everybody's salvation experience a little different. It may have happened in your home, church, job, car. Maybe when you were young, maybe vacation Bible school or junior church or a Christian school, a chapel setting, a camp or conference. But whatever the case, God came down and powerfully, personally grabbed a hold of you and twisted your heart and opened your understanding. And here's a question. It is hard, he said, it is hard for thee to kick, verse 5, against the pricks. You know what the unsaved man does? He kicks against the pricks. Now, here's a man that had sat there at the stoning of Stephen. He had seen, now you, you cannot watch a murder committed 
and sleep that off the next day. We're not, we're not talking about a lethal injection. We're talking about people in anger throwing the heaviest rocks they can find to crush the skull of another man. As his teeth come out and his head caves in and blood runs out of his mouth and he takes his last breath. That image stayed on Saul's heart and mind. The cries of those children, the sobbing of those mothers as he separated those families and cast into the prison is he watched people receive the death sentence for their faith and respond with such grace. All of that at night. Now, here's what man does when there's any kind of conviction. You, you watch people send a church service that aren't born again, and here's what they'll do. They've got to avoid conviction. So suddenly, they didn't sing a single hymn, but they've got to pick up a hymn book and start meditating on a song. Not that they're reading it. they just got to find a distraction. They've got to talk to their neighbor. They've got to fiddle with whatever their hands can find to fiddle with. They've got to find something to keep their minds off the Word of God. And what he's trying to do in their heart, I've got to stay distracted because there might be a point when the Holy Spirit of God actually gets a hold of my attention and tells me I'm wrong and need to make things right with God himself. It's amazing how people claim to be God-fearing or believe in God, but when they get in a church setting, they don't want to hear from God. They want to argue with God. Tell them how they're right and God's wrong. That's why we come to church, right? To argue with God. Let him know that our opinions certainly have more value than he understands. And our religion has to trump the word of God and what it says. Here's what he did when he got a hold uh, of the message and the Lord God got a hold of his heart. He said, Saul, you're not persecuting the church. You're kicking against the very son of God. You're kicking against the pricks. You know what man has to do to go to hell? He's got to kick against the pricks. Just like a farmer has a goad to keep an animal walking a certain direction. God says, I I want to direct you towards eternal life. And there's going to be pricks in your life. Now you can go to hell if you want. But every man that's ever walked this planet has had to kick against the pricks. That God has established in life and the Holy Spirit has provided us in order to keep us out of the lake of fire. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, he trembling, verse 6, and astonished, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What a change. Oh, this is, this is humility from pride. Pride said, this is what I'm going to do, God. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get baptized, and that ought to be good enough for you. I'm going to join this religion. I'm going to keep the law, and I'm going to do what this man or this priest or this religious authority. I've got to be careful in a group like this. You name any one of them specifically, and someone's going to get angry with you. Some man-made position that suddenly told you their opinion, and because they have a rope, Amen? They wear their suit coat backwards. Wear a necklace with a cross on it. Suddenly they have kind of spiritual authority to tell you something contrary to the Word of God. And he'd been living his whole life contrary to the Word of God. But listen, when you have a a front-end collision with the Holy Spirit of God, something's going to change. You're not going to walk away from this the same. 
He got born again. And now here's what we're going to see. Repeatedly, Paul's going to give a testimony because he has a clear testimony of a moment of salvation. There was a time, there was a place, uh, there was a clear understanding of the gospel. There was a turning from sin. Lord, what is it? I humble myself. And from this point on, he is a drastically different person. So let me ask you this this morning before we move forward. Do you have a clear testimony of salvation? Now, let me ask you this. If someone comes up to you and asks you about your moment of salvation and you get angry, you're not saved. That ought to make you happy that you get to share your testimony. If you can't go back to a place and a time and a moment in your life when you understood and came under conviction and cried out to God for mercy, you need to get that, you need to get that settled today. I don't mean this week or this month. I, I'm talking about a difference in uh, going to hell or going to heaven, condemnation or eternity with God. Well, you certainly want to get that settled. But here's what people do. When they, when they don't have that and someone brings up the subject of salvation, they get nervous or someone asks them to share their testimony. They, they get angry. Uh, I'll tell you. What needs to happen? You'll have a peace and a joy in your heart. Anybody ask you about your salvation and you're a born again child of God, you can't wait to share that with them. That's not personal and private. That's something that's supposed to be shared with the whole world. Amen. Now here's, go with me to keep your finger here in Acts 9, but go with me to 1 Timothy 1.12. Paul, obviously understood that this was grace, grace, God's grace, all grace. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2.8. He is the author. Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit of God, but he was the one that wrote, not by works of righteousness, Titus 3.5, that we have done, but according to his mercy. He wrote Ephesians 2.8.9, for by a Grace are he saved. Paul knew. Come to the realization, no works involved in this encounter, this meeting, this great drastic change. 1 Timothy 1.13, who was before a blasphemer or persecutor, injurious. But I obtained what? Mercy. It's all mercy. No works. Paul never, never states his confidence in a work or any work to get him to heaven. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And verse 14, what's he say? The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Boy, anybody clamoring about anything besides grace is a helpless fool. To raise your hand and say, God, I've done something to make you smile. You have no idea who God is nor who you are. There's nothing in your flesh that can make God smile. He understood it was all grace, saving grace. It was enabling grace. Look what he says, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me. Yes. Now, would you think about this for a minute? We're in church, and everybody here, all dressed up for God's house and carrying a Bible and Hair combed, looking like you're God's finest. But what if we rewound your life story? Put it on the big screen. 
we just talked about those prime years of youth, when you were 16, 17, and all the good and godly things you did. What about if we talk about your college days? What about your dating years? What time of life do you want us to put on the big screen? Now, hold on for a second. You know why we look and smile and love each other? Because we haven't read the entire biography. And we don't want anyone reading the biography. You know, we say, thank God for his grace. You know why we are serving and are enabled and why God uses us? Not because of who we are, not because of chapter 1 or chapter 7 or chapter 10, but because there was a road to Damascus. When we met the Son of God, we got born again, radically changed, and through His grace enabled, and only because of His grace. And Well, I grew up in this church. We know better. You grew old in this church, but you never grew up. You were enabled by the very grace of God. Now, go back with me to Acts 9 for just a moment. This is sustaining grace. Paul knew that. Strengthening grace. He was going to need it immediately because as soon as he became brother Paul, his friends became enemies. Those people that were so happy with what he was doing suddenly became unhappy with who he'd become. And if you become a child of God, don't be surprised by that. You go back to your family, you get saved on a Sunday, you go home, you start telling your family what God has done in your life. They're not going to smile. They're going to look at you and say, what have you done? What are you thinking? Have you lost your mind? Look what it says in verse 20. Straightway he, Paul, preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound in the chief priests. Saul increased more in strength. He confounded the Jews. Look what it says, verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to what? Oh, these friends suddenly said, We want to kill you. We want to get rid of you. You better have the grace of God. People start seeking your life. You better know something about the grace of God beyond salvation because at some point, those people you work with, they're not going to be happy with who you are. Now look what it says. It wasn't just strengthening grace out there in the world, but you may need a little bit of grace to make it in church. Did you, did you hear that from me? I don't need you to look shocked about that. You may, you may need grace just to deal with the other members that God's placed in his body. Because someone there might know your past. And they might doubt your future. Verse 26. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all, every last one. And at this point, there were tens of thousands of Christians. And every last one. From the biggest brute in the church to the smallest child, they'd all heard of Saul. There was no Coco, there was no boogeyman, there was no monster, it was just Saul. He was the one that everyone was fearful of. They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Thank God for Barney. Verse 27, but Barnabas, he took, Barnabas was the only guy in the whole church to look beyond the flesh and say, let's give this brother a chance. 
Aren't you glad that someone in church said, let's give this brother a chance? I, I know he did drugs in the past, and I, I know he liked ganja, and I know he smelled like marijuana. Tell me you're not cracking a smile because you smell like it when you walked in. It's okay. God can take that smell off you. God can clean you up. Uh, yeah, we, we've had people in the English church, Spanish church. The irony. We've had people come from Mexico. One showed up one year and another one showed up another year. And they were neighbors in Mexico. What a coinkadink. I had one sit in my office. Sit in the chair. It's a preacher. Uh, I, I knew him. Do you know who that guy is? I say, he's Brother Saul. Wait till you meet him because he's not the same person you knew in Mexico. This is a totally different person. He had a head-on collision with the Son of God. He was driving down the road one day and the sun was so bright he ran right off the road and into a church setting and the Holy Spirit of God did, did something way beyond what you know is possible because that's not the same person. That's not the same family. That's not the same daddy. That's someone who's been radically changed by the power of the gospel. Here's my question. Hey, you have a clear testimony. You understand the grace of God. You can't move forward in your Christian life until you understand the grace of God. Salvation starts at grace, but your purpose for living starts with understanding the grace of God. You need his enabling grace, and occasionally, oh, I love Capital City Baptist Church. I believe it's a and the best church on the whole planet. I, I wouldn't want uh, to, I wouldn't want to travel around preaching at church. I thank God for every one of them. And I love those pastors. I love those churches. But I love Cap City Baptist Church. But guess what? Occasionally you're going to run across a member that you're going to need, you're going to need the G word there to get through. You need, you need some grace yes. to deal with that character. Uh-huh. Because he may know something about, uh, yeah, everybody else knows Paul, but he may know Saul. Uh-huh. You got to say, that's okay. He's, he's got some memories that are stuck in 2003. That's okay. I got the grace of God. Yes. And, and if, if you're getting your T-shirt all twisted up, you need to get a hold of the grace of God. And you say, God, give me the grace to overcome this. I don't have to live frustrated because they knew Mr. Saul, and they're still trying to decipher uh, about this Brother Paul business. Yes, Acts 9, look what it says, verse 6. He trembling and astonished, he said what? Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Now we understand this starts with salvation. The first thing he'd have you to do is come confess your sinfulness, your need for God and get born again. That's the first thing. Thank God for Ananias, who was also fearful. But God revealed to him his purpose for Saul's life. Look what it says in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go thy way. He is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, the children of Israel. And I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. But he just didn't deliver that message to Saul and Ananias. He, he actually got that deep into the fabric in the fiber of this man that changed him from Saul to Paul because he understood Clearly, God has a purpose for me after my salvation. Look what it says in Acts 26, verse 15. And I said, who art thou? Paul sharing his testimony. 
Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Rise, stand upon thy feet. I have appeared to thee for this purpose. There's a new purpose. What's it say? To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of the things of which I will appear unto thee. You can only witness the things that you have seen. So if you're not saved, you can't be a witness to anything. But he had met the Lord Jesus Christ and was now chosen, amen, commanded to be a witness, delivering thee from the people, from the Gentiles, to whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. God has a purpose for your salvation. And it's unbelievable how many born-again children of God are living without a purpose. You know why we haven't reached the world? Too many Christians are living without a purpose. Too many people think that's Saul, that's Paul, that's Barnabas, that's Peter, that's someone that's called to preach, that's a leader of the congregation, living without a purpose. Now, here's the problem. God developed you to be successful in your purpose. God, God didn't make you to be a failure. Now, what, what God did, he did you a favor, he created you, he put you on this planet. Every man's ever been born, I want to see two different things. If you were born on this planet, you are born with a purpose. You are born in the image of God. How many of you have a uh, phone and you struggle to identify the maker? No. Upon completion, production, what do they do? They stamp their image. They only stamp their image if it's been tested and successful, right? You know how many uh, iPhones Apple makes that never, ever are sold in a store because in order for them to put their image, they've got to test them. If it doesn't receive voice messages, if it doesn't make phone calls, if it can't receive or send a text... They're not going to stamp their image on that. So if you were birthed on this planet, God says, you have exactly what you need to fulfill your purpose. I'm stamping my image on you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to fulfill your purpose. Um, here's, here's what we do. So we get the phone, we get the computer, we get the refrigerator, we buy the microwave. And one of the first things we do when we get it, we open it up. We put in the chip, we turn it on, we plug it in, we put it to use. And we take that manual, we either stuff it in a drawer or we throw it in the garbage can. And every single one of us has a device that's never truly fulfilled, it's completed. I've got a computer that can do as much as Pastor Mark's. It's just never been used on that level because I've never read the manual. I've got a cell phone that can do everything that you use your cell phone to do, but the only thing mine does is make phone calls and receive texts. Same model, same make, same capabilities, yet not fulfilling the totality of its purpose. You know why? Because I'm not guided by a manual. I'm not informed, educated, and capable of completely using that as it was designed to be used. Are, are you getting me this morning? So here's what happened with Paul. He, 
He was born. He was stamped with God's image. He was equipped from birth, but he never understood his purpose. And here's the problem. You think your job is your purpose. That's your way to financially survive life, but that's not your way to be fulfilled. God has a purpose for your life, and Saul had lived the entirety of his life up to this moment without ever fulfilling his purpose, still stamped in the image of God. But he never cracked open the manual. He had never understood the mind of God. He'd... And I don't know how many times I've had to find a child and hand him my phone. One that doesn't even own a phone. Say, I got a problem. Uh, three or four months ago, my phone locked it. It wouldn't turn off. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do nothing. It said, it said, it's over. I'm going to have to start looking for a phone. And uh, I took the mark. I said, this piece of garbage just quit, locked up. No water on it. I don't know if it got in the rain. I don't know, but it's toast. He said, give me a minute. Five minutes later, he brought it back. It was functioning totally, totally fine. I said, is that the same phone? He said, yes. I said, how did you do that? He said, read the manual. I didn't want to bother you know, you know what the pastor's trying to tell you? There's so much more that God wants to do with your life, but the only thing that's taking place is two functions. There's so much more that you can do with that oven. There's so much more you can do with that computer. Some of you have the sim- most simplistic electrical device in your whole house, and that red light still blinks. <laughs> you haven't even figured out how to turn off the red light because you have to read the manual. You know what? They're Christians walking through life. The red light blinks. That's the only thing others see, a blinking red light. And the leaders and pastors said, that guy's never even read the manual. God's image is stamped on you. And here's what I've seen, Timothy. I'm going to tell you a secret about adults. They will make an excuse all day long about who they are and what they become and what they have. They did that to themselves. And it takes a lot of hard work to mess things up on that level. You don't mess up things like that in life without a lot of effort. Then they try to blame it on God and their circumstance and their boss and their family and their home and their past. And no, they did that. There's a lot of choices. That took a lot of bad choices to get to that point. Because God said, I'm going to facilitate your success. I'm going to stamp you with my image. And if you read that manual, now here's, here's if, if, if we think a company like Android or Apple, Samsung, you know what they do? They warranty and guarantee everything, even if an idiot like me buys it. Because that guarantee isn't based on the stupidity of Adam Thompson. They say if we stamp our image on that product, we guarantee because of who we are, that'll be successful. If you were made in the image of God, God stamped, he said, I guarantee this product. I warranty this product. Now, you know what breaks the warranty of the guarantee? If you take that computer and you put it in the middle of your pool for the next three days... And say, this thing just quit. They'll say, you're the idiot that ruined the future of that computer. But when we gave it to you, it was totally functional and guaranteed to work perfectly. And the church, you know what? I think the message coming across way too 
clearly this morning. So we say, how is it the Paul turned out so successful? He read the manual. Lord, what would I have to do with me? What do you want me to do? What would you have me to do? I'm going to completely surrender because I want to be successful for your great name's sake. And you know what we have in the church? People that never, never even checked out God's purpose for their life. No desire to fulfill his plan. God, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with this computer. God, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with this phone. The limitation of that phone depends upon the limitation of your knowledge. The limitation of that computer depends upon the limitation of your knowledge. And if you're not interested in using it to the full extent of its capabilities, that's on you. And God said, I gave you a life, and I gave you a brain, and I gave you youth, and I gave you energy, and I gave you four score and ten. And I did everything, and I stamped my image, which means I said, I will warranty this product if it is used according to my purpose. Success is a guarantee. You know what man says? I'm going to jump in the pool and blame it on God. 